So the problem is, these people are suffering and there's no one there to help them because nobody's in government. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Mainstream Media Podcast, hosted here at Raw News, King's College London's student newspaper. Today, we look at the situation in Northern Ireland. In part one, we lay out the context of the Good Friday Agreement, Brexit and where Northern Irish politics is today. In part two, we include more Northern Irish voices to discuss attitudes towards sectarianism, religion, independence and dairy girls today. I'm Finton Hogan, common editor here at Raw, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Mainstream Media. Finton, let me avoid the question. Let me, let me avoid the question. Their best politician is a previous president. I mean, half the Conservative Party forgot what Johnson did in about six weeks. We know that doing nothing gets nothing done. You're a paleoconservative prophet. Is democracy under genuine threat in Brazil? Fade away into neoliberal nothingness. Frankly, there's a good chance that he's going to be, like, kicked out of the House of Commons. Well, hey, back on the gravy train. That's, yeah. that's not going to happen. They are actively trying to undermine the democratic position that was made in 2020. Welcome to this episode. And to start off, we have two voices from either side of the Northern Irish border, more or less. I'd like you to introduce yourselves. Uh, first, we have Connor. Hi, I'm Connor. I am uh, the other comment editor here at Roar, and I am from the Republic of Ireland. Hi, I'm Electra. Uh, I'm a writer at Roar, and um, my mum's from Northern Ireland, but I'm from Switzerland. Yeah, yeah well, thank both of you for coming along today. Um, we're trying to host more podcasts about uh, the diversity of kings, particularly the international diversity, and especially with our King's Vote series, issues of democracy and maybe where democracy is not doing so well. Uh, and this is what brought my attention to the Northern Irish issue. Uh, I have friends who are Northern Irish, and some of them brought to my attention uh, more recent issues over the legislative state of the assembly in the north and i'd like you to start to explain some of the history and the context behind that so if we could start by going way back to possibly our parents generation would you one of you mind giving me a rundown of what were the troubles and why do our parents talk about them oh yeah sure i mean go for it connor oh god okay um i mean the troubles was a 30-year period in northern irish history um which, you know, as is demonstrated in the name, um, was a period of violence um, between the two opposing sides, the Unionists and the Nationalists, um, and generally... What did the Unionists want? What did the Nationalists want? So, so Unionists um, were, would like to remain part of the United Kingdom, and their, their goal is to remain part of that Union. Um, the Nationalists, obviously, would prefer to be part of the Republic. They, they would hope that the whole of the island of Ireland would become a republic. Um, and generally, when people talk about uh, those two sides, um, Catholicism is associated with nationalism, um, and then Protestant uh, is the religion that is associated with uh, unionism. Um, so the IRA was the, the Catholic uh, nationalist side fighting in that battle, and then the UDA um, was the, the unionist uh, side and so just it was a period of prolonged violence um in the north um that came to an end then with in the, the north Friday and in the united kingdom well and and in the republic as well we uh, to a lesser extent in the republic um but certainly yeah it did the violence did spill over uh, into both jurisdictions um yeah but um so it ended up coming to um a 
point where um, everybody kind of just wanted it to stop. So um, everyone came together and they crafted the Good Friday Agreement, um, which was signed uh, in 1998. And, um, and I should point out that I think in the, in the UK it's generally uh, referred to amongst the UK government as the Belfast Agreement as well. That's, oh, that's yes, another yeah. term for it. Definitely. Um, but yeah, and so it kind of um, created the devolved system of government that we have now. Um, where it's on, on a power sharing basis, so um, half of government is, I guess, like nationalist and the other half uh, unionist. Is this devolution more like the Welsh devolution or like the Scottish devolution? Do they have? Is there a large amount of power given to the <laughs> given to the assembly, or is it kind of a um, a symbolic body? I, I think that they they have a fairly significant degree of power. I mean, like Northern Ireland has its own legal jurisdiction, coming from a legal background, it has its own legal jurisdiction. So I think that like the amount of devolution of power was relatively substantial um, in that regard. Um, so yeah, I, I would think that they, they have a fairly significant amount of power. It is, um, well, both parts like vote and take part in all of the legislation. And it's just one, whoever has the majority has um, uh, the Prime Minister, so well, not the Prime Minister, the, the First Minister. Yeah, First Minister. Um, like so, for example, beforehand it used to be, um, it used to be Jeffrey Donaldson. No, it wasn't. Paul Given was the. Paul the, Given, yes. Paul Given, and then he. Well, now he's gone bye bye. Um, but um, n um, it's supposed to be nowadays supposed to be Michelle O'Neill because uh, Sinn Fein won, so the national. Mm -hmm. So could you like so, so, the, so, so the, it's a complex so arrangement. Um, that I think is is quite difficult to understand, um, unless you sort of you know are part of that uh, uh, body. But effectively, it's it's supposed to represent the the population. Uh, so in terms of Northern Ireland, there's obviously a, a large Catholic population. There's a, or sorry, a large nationalist population, a large unionist population, and there's sort of you know some who wouldn't identify as either. And so as part of the agreement, each uh, MLA, which is uh, the equivalent of an MP, uh, and each party has to align themselves one way or the other. Um, so effectively, what you then see is that uh, the power sharing effectively means that um, the, the number of positions uh, given to ministers is divided up evenly amongst um, the, pr the proportion of the vote that each sort of nationalist section or each unionist section received. So that's how it works. Is and there an so, independent section as well? Yeah, uh, so the technically, yes, you can um, You can have an independent section. Um, I don't know, do, do the alliance technically? No, they don't align themselves as independent, sorry, but there is another section. So, so the Good Friday Agreement was successful in bringing to an end this period of conflict and establishing a devolved assembly in Northern Ireland, which is generally seen power shared between two sides yeah I, th I think the point yeah. was that like both sides were being heard so there wasn't a need to fight over control yeah. yeah and so the first minister and the deputy first minister had to be from the largest nationalist and the largest unionist um, parties so there was a sort of coming together of the two sides was the the idea behind it perfect um, so the Good Friday agreement was agreed and what year 1998 perfect and on how, Good Friday on Good Friday mm -hmm. 1998 and how well did it work at first Speaking maybe for the early 2000s, was it generally successful? Moderately? Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it... it well, there's no more conflict, I suppose. Yeah, so, I mean, okay, so the, the agreement um, put an end to the immediate uh, violence. Um, and it certainly did bring about a system of government. 
um, whether that system has held up and and worked effectively is a different question. Um, you know, as we've se- as we're seeing now, there's no government, um, and there have been a number of periods where there has been no government at Stormont as a result of the the t- technical and complex process by which both sides have to come together and agree, and that's very difficult when you know they've been fighting for so many years. But uh, in a very immediate uh, sense, it definitely put brought an end to the the violence and conflict that we had seen at the time and the number of killings that we were seeing. So from that perspective, it has certainly worked wonders. Since the Brexit referendum in 2016, the United Kingdom government has agreed what's called the Northern Ireland Protocol with the European Union. Could either of you please briefly explain what that is and maybe any challenges that that brought for governance in Northern Ireland? Yeah, so basically the main problem with um, the Northern Irish Protocol is because Britain is leaving the EU, uh, there has to be a check between Britain and the EU when it comes to goods. Um, The problem is... um, on the island of Ireland, you've got Northern Ireland and the Republic, and there is a border there, but not one that you can see. And that was the point, also, of the agreement, was not having a limit there, because it was a big point of contention during the Troubles. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with the NI Protocol, well, forming a border um, for trade between Britain and the EU, is that you do need to have a border somewhere. And a big part of Brexit negotiations were just everybody agreed that you could not put a border between the North and the South. There was no way that was going to go over well. Um, So what they've done now is formed the NI Protocol, um, which in theory would mean that um, the trade border would be between Northern Ireland and the rest of Britain. So like in In the the Irish Sea. Yeah. Yeah. So So this border in the Irish Sea was something that some groups were opposed to. Why is that? Um, Well, basically, um, it would mean that when people trade, um, Northern Ireland trade-wise is under EU um, jurisdiction, and so they have to follow EU rules, and then the rest of Britain follow um, British rules. Um, And the problem also is that it basically draws a line between Northern Ireland and the rest of Britain, which the DUP, who are unionists, really don't like because it feels like they're not part of Britain anymore. Um, Some might argue that um, it's not really that important as like the also mostly the problem is um, that I guess that Northern Ireland benefits more from the situation than Britain does there um, it's better for them economically speaking um, trade-wise so quite simplistically the um the unionists wanted the border on one side and the nationalists wanted the border on the other side because association with one of these two blocks well, the DU- Yeah, so the, wherever you put the border effectively is where you're drawing the line between, from the DUP's perspective where the border is currently the drawn in the, the sorry, the, the unionist aligned party where the border is currently drawn in the Irish Sea means that they are not a full member of the United Kingdom because the goods need to be um, checked before they come into the uh, come into Northern Ireland's jurisdiction, and they would perceive this as being, you know, not in conformity with them being a full member of the United Kingdom. From the from the perspective of the Republic, the one thing that the the EU certainly had had guaranteed all the way through the negotiations was that there was not going to be any hard border um, on the on between the Northern Ireland and the Republic, and that was something that was very important to the Republic for our trade from the Republic's trading perspective and also because I mean the foundation of the protocol or the Northern or the Good Friday Agreement 
was to keep peace and it was felt that by putting a border up uh, between Northern Ireland and Ireland that peace would be very much at risk once again. So the the EU strongly um, I suppose wanted to, to make sure that this border did not um, did not lie on the Northern Ireland Ireland border and so um, it was thought that the best option was to put it in the sea. It was more or less the, the red line for the EU more or less was any sort of border on the Ireland. Yeah um, and that's something that they, they really um, they really focused on and I suppose from an Irish perspective that was something that uh, we in the Republic were very grateful for because um, you know there was I suppose a period after the vote where um, there was a question as to where this border could conceivably lie and if it was to lie um, between Northern Ireland and Ireland that would have had quite significant repercussions for Irish business and also probably for, for the peace uh, agreement. And so what's the state of Stormont today? Uh, yeah, well, um, basically what's happened is the DUP, the Unionist Party, who are upset that um, there's been a line drawn essentially between the North and um, Britain, have decided that they're not going to turn up to government um, as a sign of protest. Um, if uh, Britain and the EU don't fix the Northern Irish Protocol in the, um, that they find is flawed in their eyes, um, they won't turn up to government. So um, in May of this year, um, we had an election um, and to decide um, who would have majority in government. Um, and Sinn Féin, a Nationalist Party, won. And following that election, uh, the DUP, who were a Unionist Party, who had always had majority, um, then announced that they wouldn't come into um, Parliament to work. And the issue with that is, is that because of a Good Friday Agreement and devolved government and power sharing, you can't actually have government if both parties don't turn up. So essentially, Nothing's been happening in government because the DUP won't turn up. Yeah, so um, in the, in that election, um, it was the first time ever that Sinn Féin has had uh, a majority. Uh, in, Sorry, in, so every previous first minister had been from, has the, been the, from the DUP, yeah. uh, or from a, from a unionist yeah, party. Uh, and so Sinn Féin returned 27 MLAs and the DUP returned 25, so they have a 2-2 two, two MLA majority. Um, but the DUP then used, have, have used the uh, the... Northern Ireland Protocol issue um, as their kind of reason um, not to participate in government currently. Now, you know, there's questions as to whether that's a legitimate reason or not, but ultimately the problem is that because they are not willing to take part in government, Stormont can't function due to the Good Friday Agreement requiring the cooperation of both sides. And this is where you really see, I suppose, the breakdown of the agreement and where the, the struggles are in terms of actually um in in terms of this agreement functioning um properly so what conditions would need to be met for the dup to say that they'd go back into government uh they've said um like destruction of the northern irish protocol well destruction's a strong word but taking it down essentially yeah and and so well there's currently a a bill um passing through parliament here in in westminster um which so the the northern Ireland protocol bill um and the proposal is that rather than goods being checked, all goods being checked on the way into Northern Ireland, they would have two channels, a green channel, um, which I believe is for goods that are going to stay in Northern Ireland, um, or is it the other way around, the red one is for goods staying in Northern Ireland? 
It's what I heard was the Green Channel was pre-approved goods, so like with people that they know that they've like traders that they've agreed to. So one channel is effectively for goods that aren't going to travel further into the EU and that would be fine and the other one is for goods that we know are going to travel further into the EU those would have to be checked. At present all goods going over to, to Northern Ireland have to be checked and so the proposal is to have the two channels. They also propose that uh, Northern Ireland would be under the tax remit of um, Westminster again um, rather than currently they have to conform to the EU's tax rules around goods um, because of the, the current situation and also that they wouldn't be under the jurisdiction of the uh, European Court of Justice when it comes to issues around those goods. Um, there have been suggestions certainly from a Republic of Ireland perspective that and the EU perspective that this is in contravention of international law um, the EU has actually initiated legal action on this front um, and you know the the uh, contention is that the UK signed up to the protocol um, they agreed to it at the time and they cannot now unilaterally decide to, to yeah that they can't unilaterally decide that they're going to do their own thing um, with the, which the EU would have no input uh, in so that is the current situation for Stormont to sit, as you've said, it doesn't seem like there's a very easy solution to get the DUP quickly back into government. Is there a, any solutions, any viable solutions on the horizon which don't involve the entire renegotiation of the, of the border settlement? Right now, all they've said is um, the... Uh, so the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, Chris Heaton-Harris, has said um, that he's going to change some legislation to give the people who um, have basically taken over for ministers more power because mm -hmm. the problem right now is they can't really do anything that hasn't been pre-approved by essentially ministers. the civil service running government yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. but only no, they can only of political decisions which have been made before yeah. the before Stormont stops yes yeah, so they can take they can only take decisions which are deemed sort of uncontroversial so mm -hmm. and decisions so the likes of you know setting out a budget which is due to be decided in in the near future in the north is deemed a very controversial decision, so that can't be, that can't be done, and uh, that leads to obviously big problems with public finances. Um, so yeah, so the the proposal is to to extend further power to these civil servants, and also um, uh, the uh, Northern Ireland Secretary is under an, a legal obligation to call an election. Um, now the, there's another proposal uh, because of the fact that there's no government currently there's another proposal to extend uh, the length of time which uh, he would be allowed uh, before calling that election um, so that would that legislation would have to work its way through Westminster before that is allowed but I think that seems to be something that is definitely on the horizon and um, Mr Heaton Harris has suggested I think that either March or April next year would be the time at which a new election would be called so it doesn't seem like there's going to be any election. There were talk of elections this winter, but they've been pushed back at least no, until after yeah, Christmas. No, the thing yeah. is, like... He's conclusively said definitely not yes. uh, prior to Christmas, um, which means that they definitely have to get this legislation through because uh, they, they would have to call it before Christmas otherwise. We're going to get some more partisan voices on after the break to discuss some of the social issues there and maybe if there's any alternative, any, any way out of this other than the fudge of extending the civil services power and just waiting to hold elections as long as possible. So thank you too for giving us the background and we look forward to having both of you back for us with the second section coming up soon. Uh, 
Welcome back. Um, now we have two Northern Irish KCL students here with us. Would you mind introducing yourselves? Hello, I'm Joshua. I'm from around the county of my area, more specifically Craig Avon, uh, and I'm a unionist. Um, my name is Alina Joseph. I am from Bangor in County Down, um, but I did. I was born in India and then grew up in Northern Ireland, mm. and I am of the nationalist perspective. <laughs> Perfect, thank you. It's good to get some diversity of opinion on here, so thanks both of you for coming on. Um, we've heard from Electra and Connor just before. What a mess the Stormont Assembly is in at the moment. Well, what's the way out of this, either of you? We'll talk about specific issues later, but overall, is the constitutional architecture correct? Is there any way out of this? It's a bit of a deep question. Like, you know, it's very broad it's a yeah, there's a very, very broad scope there. Like, so in the Good Friday Agreement, you've got all the strands, you've got different things, and essentially, because I remember in my history course back in school in Northern Ireland, we were taught about the Good Friday Agreement. Mm. You know, we had people in class who were like, they insisted on calling it the Belfast Agreement because oh, you I dare know. not put the name, you know, you dare not put good in the name of the Good Friday Agreement, which was so awful. Mm. Um, I don't think it was terribly awful. I think it was a pretty good thing. Very good thing, actually, for that matter. But sort of in the Good Friday Agreement, there was a lot of stuff which... I remember my history teacher expressing that it was fudged over yeah. and is that you know we sort of put some issues off like yeah, legacy issues that yeah. keep coming fudge up fudge was tonight. exactly the term I wanted to use earlier with how the civil service are like basically running the government I think that's yeah. exactly right I it's think you can nothing. definitely sorry you can definitely <laughs> feel a sense of urgency in it as in I mean how many years of bloodshed and violence oh I mean it was 30 from 69 to yeah. 99 uh, really. I think at that point everyone just wanted the violence to be over people were ready for I, I feel like people were ready almost immediately though that's yeah. the thing that's mm -hmm. you know, after over like, 20 years is this fudge still available like sustainable or has it gone off I mean I think the so obvious the, answer is no I, yeah I, I mean we still like it still comes up in Stormont quite a lot in the legislative assembly about um different legacy issues I know there are always legacy issues like do we give um, particular benefits and things to those who are victims of the troubles mm -hmm. you know those who have been really desperately affected because then once you start to delve down that rabbit hole you've got right well these people you know they were effectuating that violence so like oh, do we want to set the sort of example that we give money to people who are violent in society and led to the perpetuation of you know that issue that uh. has defined our entire country mm -hmm. And what's the perception towards specifically just Stormont though? What's the perception towards that nowadays? I think well, I not many people have any sort of faith in Stormont. Oh no! I mean, this not, is. Not I mean, I was, I was about to say I was about to, I was about to <laughs> from being like, oh goodness. <laughs> no, no, it's just uh, no one has any faith in any of the um, devolved government. At it's it's all. just such a difficult issue because we want. I, I think it's pretty safe to say that collectively we want a devolved government mm -hmm. to represent our views because it's so like it's very. It's very, very personal. Mm. Well, it's very personal. It's very unique, and it's just it's so difficult to encompass if you haven't grown up experiencing it. So it very much mm -hmm. has to be, you know, it's very much. There's a lot of political cleavage, and you know, it has to it has yeah. to be very much from the Northern Irish people to make any sort of change. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely. But is agree is with the that. idea of united government still sustainable if one party is refusing to sit as soon as it loses an election? Well, yeah. No, that is the issue. Yeah. That is the issue where. I mean, that's part of the reason why the Good Friday Agreement sort of... I don't, I don't want to say fails, because that, that would be a <laughs> very is a strong word, controversial but statement. But it's the fact that, you know, um, it's just there's no accountability for it at all. It, yeah. The whole government relies on cooperation 
and if one party decides that it doesn't like the situation then everyone I feel else like it's, sort it's, of feels the it's an extreme case of the old trope against proportional representation mm-hmm. political theories mm-hmm. that you've the trade off between accountability and representation so we've got really good representation. I think that that's very much the case, and that's why the Good Friday Agreement was, you know, I mean, you had people like Bill Clinton even came over and endorsed yeah. it and signed. I think he signed it, but I know he gave, didn't he give a speech? In yeah, the... he liked it. He liked it a lot. Yeah. If you watch Dairy Girls, yeah, yeah. you'll know what we're talking about. Yeah. Old Bill. Um, <laughs> but Dairy does live here. Yeah, so we've got really good representation, but not so much accountability, as can be clearly seen in the media at the moment. It's like, you know, how, how can one party, especially one party that is... I mean, the majority party of, I guess, I guess my side of the aisle. Mm. How can they just... Well, I can see how they can because they don't agree with what's going on. They think it's very much a symbolic issue of the border in, in the seas pushing us away from the United Kingdom. Yeah, coming to this idea of accountability, obviously the one party you're referring to is the Democratic Unionist Party, yeah. Yeah. which has which is the one that is refusing to sit in stall now. They were also part of the Supply and Confidence Agreement, which propped up Theresa May's government um, before. How do people perceive the DUP on both sides? Uh, before and after both the Supply and Confidence Agreement and not joining Stormont over the implications of Brexit that we have discussed with our previous people. Are people fed up with the DUP or are partisans going to be partisans? Uh, the people who support the DUP support the DUP. Oh, that's big time. That, that's <laughs> that's deep-rooted. Deep uh, but people who don't, I think, are very sick of them. Yeah. On both sides, because... I mean, it's, what is it, 65-70% of the country don't support the didn't yep. vote for the DUP, so it's you know when there's one, one group holding the whole thing up. It's it's awful because they've it's not just this issue that they've held up. Like it took Northern Ireland so many years to even get things like same-sex marriage legalized, or on the issue of abortion, the DUP has been very very unhelpful. Even after we were sort of Northern Ireland was sort of forced to legalize abortion. The UP refused to give any funding or any mm. sort of supply for that. So while in theory that Northern Ireland does have abortion laws, it in practicality it's not available to Northern Ireland. If there was an election all. tomorrow, you don't have the polling. Would you expect the DUP to perform worse or better than they did last time after this intransigence? The same. The same. The same. Exactly the yeah. same. Yeah. yeah. So I actually wrote my personal statement about uh, this little politics aspect. My personal statement was based on the tribal lines voting phenomena mm. that. Uh, that is so prevalent in Northern Ireland, like in the electoral system of Northern Ireland. It's like it, it's it's more about keeping the other side out than getting yeah. your representatives in. Mm-hmm. So we've got represent very perfectly represented government, you know, sort of in proportion. But I mean, is it really representative if you're not voting for representation? Yeah, it's very much you you vote on a line of your identity and of your culture yeah. more than. I like I can imagine that most people who do vote probably don't even know the party's manifesto or their alignments or their agreements. They vote because they are the unionist party or they vote because they are the nationalist party. So these sectarian attitudes, as we referenced before, are things of the Derry Girls have been our our best cultural reference point, at least for us and many of us in the UK. Our best cultural reference point for Northern Ireland um, is Derry Girls, the ideas of things like the Orange Order and these kind of tropes. So they, you seem to be saying that these kind of sectarian attitudes on both sides seem to still be existing. There's no sign of them waning. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's still very much in recent memory. Like, I don't think it'll yeah. disappear anytime soon. Like, people definitely, like... I in think our generation, are those aged between our generation, 15 and 25? There's definitely a change. I mean, there's more of a Northern Irish identity now rather, yes, than, a, that is very true. rather than a British or Irish. Like, when you ask who you are, I mean, I know I said that I'm Northern Irish, then I say I'm British, but... 
Um, I mean, the thing is, at the end of the day, I think is one thing that should be noted is the fact that our schools are segregated. Like, it's it's crazy, but we have separate, like... Uh, by religion? Yeah, by religion. So You when do get Catholic schools. I, 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 I went to a Catholic school. And I went to a school with a Protestant Christian ethos. There you go. Protestant school. Yeah. A Protestant school. And when <laughs> you're 11, yeah, when you're 11, you can do... Um, like the tests or exams to go into oh, a grammar hey. school. Mm-hmm. There's one for Catholic schools and there's one for every other one grammar school. Yes, to, so two separate sa- tests, right. but Catholic schools have a separate one. So, so I did is both. It largely, it's largely self-selecting as to like Catholics choose to do the Catholic test and stay there. So you'd never choose to you, do the test. I think other. you do choose your school. I mean, you've obviously you've got the streaming area yeah. around the school, like within so many miles. Then you're eligible. Know, yes. transport to school and yes. stuff like that just a normal education system but i definitely think it is self-perpetuating in the choice of parents to send their kids to oh, like-minded sure. schools i mean primary schools as well like there are pri- like um because i went to a catholic primary school as well I and not. i remember <laughs> <laughs> and i remember um because bangor is very very unionist it was like the only catholic school in the town or whatever right beside us was an, a non-denominational school and there was a lot of like I remember we did like a cross community. We did um, loads of cross. So many stuff. cross community things. I remember learning things. the tin whistle. Wow. <laughs> no <laughs> way. Yeah, I remember learning the tin whistle with another school. Wow, just in order to try and yeah. break down borders, or how do they phrase it? It's just sort of like you have. I don't know. How it, no, it was really interesting for us, right? So it was our school, then another school who were obviously a Catholic school. Um, then we met in a disabled school to learn how to play the tin whistle. It was really, it was an interesting arrangement. Uh, do these it. things work to any extent to I, well, I don't educate know about young you, people? But to be fair, I was like seven, so I didn't actually know <laughs> why we were doing this. I was just like, oh, this we're playing dodgeball instead of doing work. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's all, that's all you're worried about. Yeah. Okay, maybe for slightly older age groups. Maybe oh, if they're 12 to oh. 15. And then like it's most this kind of most reasonable people just like you know there's just another person with a different no, opinion exactly. it's like there's, there's no real but these voting blocks are still so ingrained yeah yeah i'd be interested to see how that continues into the future because again as i say like even my parents my parents you know 40 50 60 that age group they're mm-hmm. still going to be here and voting for a very true as well like yeah. another couple of decades that's true so it like i think i don't think we're going to see any substantive change for at least another 50 years i would agree with that like at least why interesting i'd like to bring back in our two previous contributors here to talk a bit more about the the crisis fair to say of the moment mm-hmm. um storm has not been sitting properly since the elections held in may i think this year mm-hmm. um and there is now a huge crisis of the cost of living as we're all experiencing and as well of government overspend i think electra has a kind of summary of that sort of fiscal black hole i think it's fair to say. yeah well the problem is if no one's in government they can't like help people out so a lot of people this winter um are having issues they don't think they're actually going to have heating or electricity um and there isn't actually there's a proposed payment of 400 pounds i think it is for energy payments to households to help them get by but that's actually been delayed because nobody's in government to be able to help get those payments through so the problem is these people are suffering and there's no one there to help them because nobody's in government and i think maybe that's why I feel like there could be a change in DUP support because maybe if you feel like your government isn't there for you, there might be a change in opinion. But 
Interesting. So there's a huge there's a huge black hole in government finances. Is that fair? Aye, uh, but like <sighs> nothing new? nothing new. I was just was it nothing new? <laughs> so between January twenty seventeen and January twenty twenty, we had no government either. But yeah. it was like it wasn't even just until January twenty twenty. They came back, they said hello, and then went to, went away again for this, another year. There's over so a thousand days with no with no government. We're so used to this. Mm-hmm. It's just like that. I think that's why no one no one actually looks at it as like a political you don't take it seriously when it when it when it behaves like this but it's it is no one respects it but it it is serious because wait there's a oh it's desperately serious like my school we ran out of money like no we didn't run out of money we couldn't afford to print our notes like the school you know the note like the wee book that's like even if you couldn't Mm -hmm. afford to print that because the ministry for education couldn't give the money to the education authority who couldn't give the money to schools so all the schools in my local area were like a hundred grand in debt because of that three-year period i'd like to bring our republic of ireland person in there say do the people and do the government of the republic of ireland want if there was a mandate for it in whatever way would would they want this kind of systematic problem added on uh, as in, if the North was to rejoin with the Republic, if the North, yes, um, set aside all the problems that might. Well, come okay, up. so the the systematic problem. Uh, so, <laughs> well, uh, that's a that's an interesting question because I suppose so from a from a very uh, from a principled perspective, uh, the Republic certainly wants to to reunite with the North. There's no question about that. I think that, you know, if there was to be a border poll as outlined in the Good Friday Agreement, the Republic wouldn't pose a problem. How is it know, outlined? That. Just give us some so, so, so um, the it's under the, the remit of the um, the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland if the Secretary of State is of the perception that there is uh, a a nationalist majority in, in the North, then um, they are obliged to have a border poll um, to, to propose um, reunification and so there would have to be agreement both on the, the northern end and on the republic end. Um, I think the republic would pose no issue. Um, Even with all these problems and the so, debt? Uh, yeah, so the, the, we, you know, obviously there is that question of the debt but I think that in the republic there is very much a perception that um, you know, it's part of the island of Ireland and so it would be ludicrous um, for some people, uh, they feel it would be ludicrous to say, you know, if we were given this opportunity to to reunite, that we would say no. Um, you know, there there's there is that debate about the economy. Um, how it, uh, there's a lot of questions about how reintegration would actually or reunification, sorry, would actually work um, practically. There's a lot of questions on that front. But from a purely sort of principal perspective, I think that the the republic would be very very content to to take back the north. And this idea of a border poll referendum is triggered if the Secretary of, State for Northern, Secretary of State for Northern Ireland thinks that there is a nationalist majority. Is there? Well, there is. We won an election. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, that's the interesting we thing, being though. We the nationalists. Oh, yeah, oh, the sorry. Na- <laughs> the nationalists have won. <laughs> um, um, but I think that in and of itself, the census, it doesn't actually convey, like, mm-hmm. the actual... And that's the issue with Northern Ireland, because then you're you're sort of reduced to you're either a nationalist or a unionist, you're either Catholic or Protestant, and that's always been the issue with Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland, I feel like that doesn't convey the actual 
sort of spectrum of political ideologies and political views that people do have. Because I would know a lot of people who would identify themselves as Irish, who have born and brought up in Northern Ireland, identify themselves as Irish, but they would prefer to stay in the union if that's what, um, if that's how, because if they have a job in the NHS, yeah. if that's how, yeah, right? I, like, I, was, I was thinking that. There's a lot of, I know a lot of like, um, I don't know how to, like politically um, nationalist, economically unionist people. I do know a lot of people like that. Yeah, because technically that's, it's really hard, if, especially with questions of the NHS. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, about the NHS. Is that, is oh, that right. Um, well, I mean, a lot of people in Northern Ireland are employed by the NHS. Mm-hmm. That's, that's for sure. I mean, yeah. everyone has... You've got multiple nurses per family. Like yeah. 100%. Um, Why is I, that so high? I don't, don't know. Don't know. Don't know. Just want to be nurses. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, that if you look at it objectively, from the perspective of whether, you know, determining the nationalist, unionist side of things, the the recent election is obviously a, a good indicator of that. Yeah. Um. You know, you would you would suggest maybe that when a nationalist party gains a majority, there is probably a nationalist majority within the the country. Right. Another indicator is the census because that demonstrated that there was a Catholic majority, and generally, we would associate Catholics with falling on along nationalist lines. However, I think the problem at the moment is that that majority is so slim. Yeah. And that because it's so slim, it would be very it would be very divisive if you were to call that poll now. Mm-hmm. And also, you'd have to wait in, uh, under the agreement. You have to wait a further seven years before you can have another poll. And so I think that because it's so slim, you know, Strategically, it, there's it's maybe no not the best certainty idea around that, it. If that's your and it's also been an issue that has become more prevalent recently. And I think the view would be that the longer the the longer you give this, the the more definitive things will be so you know we'll know more about if the if the north was to reunite what practically would have to happen and that yes. would give people more certainty so, to vote along a nationalist line or to vote along a unionist line so the census that connor and others referred to was a census conducted within the last year which showed a majority of the Irish now identify as catholic rather than previously not been protestant so obviously the question is if people fall along the traditional religious line of who would vote to leave the united kingdom does that mean that people politically would also vote along that do you think that maybe the maybe Sinn Féin and others have learned from the mistake of the SM that the SNP made when they called the referendum or they pushed for the referendum in 2014 they pushed too soon do you think they they're going to bide their time and is it a question of not if but when i think yeah it's definitely a question of not if but when definitely in times Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Big yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh-huh. Probably yeah. the next decade. Yeah, uh, I can see one in the next decade. Yeah. yeah. I know yeah. Sinn Fein said border poll in two, three years, but I think they're just. I think, yeah, I think they're saying that just to get people. people in, yeah. yeah. Get people in the mood for it. Yeah. And but people have been saying that. South, sorry. sorry the, in the south, there's uh, or in the republic, there's the perception that there will be a poll, but not for a few years. So mm-hmm. there's the, sort of you know the the politic or the uh, political parties in the republic have been eyeing up maybe a five or six year kind of timeline in terms of having that poll um so yeah so before I think 2030 all of you think there'll be a poll yeah. yeah well i do think the situation with brexit and like the yes. protocol is definitely going to influence what happens with a border poll because if people are really unhappy with the way it's been handled there's probably going to be some thought about 
what the British government is doing for Northern Ireland and if it's worth actually staying. So has Brexit sped up the... Oh, definitely. I well, put that the plays, issue back on the table. Does that not play just right into the DUP's hands, though, in saying that, you know, mm. that divide, that section's off, sort of section off and get away oh, yeah, pro- with I mean, Northern Ireland, and then the unionist community might just be like, oh, right, well, we see that. Yeah. The well, DUP were right. Definitely. As soon as you start talking about a border, you start talking about, like, questions of mm-hmm. a border poll. Um, and I think, like, the unionists do have a point when they say that there is a line between, like, Northern Ireland and Britain. It is it's slightly the, more than symbolic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's um, a valid argument. Yeah, of course. But, but, but the issue of a border poll did come up as soon as Brexit became an yeah. issue. I yeah, don't put think it back on surprises the table. anyone. Yeah. Well, it's like with Scotland. Like, as soon as Brexit happened, they were like, wait, no, we want to re-vote again. Yeah. We do want to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, especially because Northern Ireland didn't actually vote for Brexit. Exactly. We wanted to remain. Mm-hmm. So I think especially now, like... Really Even though we, we were quite divisively yeah. remain, it was quite a slim majority also. Mm. I, th- I think it was 54, 46. Yeah. Every, everything's a slim majority. Yeah, in all <laughs> around. that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, no, no, Clint, what would there be a majority for? What would most Northern Irish people want changed today? Have a functioning government, maybe? Yeah, have, have a government that, that, that you know, shows things. up. I, I think... Cut, cutting uh, MLA's salaries, I think there would be a decisive majority on that. I agree with that. <laughs> Everyone they're wants to cut their salaries. Yeah, they are. They are they're doing, doing they're cutting the it, yeah. I know, but cut it to zero. Well, they yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if they're not that... Well, they're not attending. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they get they had a three-year holiday. They get yeah. something thousand pounds a year. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And similarly, so DUP, the DUP aren't attending Stormont now, but historically and symbolically, Sinn Féin when they're elected in parliamentary elections, don't attend Westminster, yeah. Yeah. which yeah. changes some of the voting calculus. You might see there's sometimes strange numbers for majorities because basically it's a moot point that the, DU, that the Sinn Féin just don't turn up. How has that changed their popularity? Like, How is that seen? Is that still supported amongst these groups? I think, well, I, well, from what I can see from the younger perspective is that people find that really stupid. <laughs> people yeah. are just like... I mean, don't waste representation. Exactly, like, exactly. That, that's, had, that's the golden rule here. We've seen three years of inactivity. Yeah. Like we know that doing nothing gets nothing done. Like yes, the, oh, there's the whole symbolic aspect of like, oh, we dislike Parliament. Uh, we don't like the Queen. Or oh, sorry, the King. Now we're not gonna we're not gonna sit in Parliament. Okay, well now we have no <laughs> nationalist voice in Parliament. Like for ages. God, I can't remember her name, but the uh, the MP for uh, North Down, who was an independent. She was a UUP member, but then became an independent. Which is another independent. unionist party. Hmm? Which is another unionist yeah, yes, party. Yes, yes, Ulster unionist. Ulster unionist. And then she ran as an independent. She was the only nationalist voice in Parliament for a long time because Sinn Féin just did not take their seats. I mean, if that's ridiculous, then I don't know what yeah. is. Well, there is something to be said about the fact that Sinn Féin did, like, not turn up to government for a while in 2017. I was mm-hmm. going to say that that's something that... So, I know we've acknowledged the DUP currently are posing the problem, but Sinn Féin have been the cause of such a problem back in 2017 during the... I believe it was termed the Cash for Ash scandal, mm, if I'm if yeah. not mistaken. Um, the DUP and Arlene Foster um, were engaged in some kind of scandal, uh, uh, energy scandal yeah, at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Would one of you please explain that. So essentially the DUP offered this scheme about uh, like get a wood chip boiler for your house and this cost savings, the government pays you back so much, but it turned out that it was a massive loss-making scheme and it was a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. And it blew up into this whole... You know, inflamed scandal. Mm-hmm. 
and that led to But importantly, Sinn Féin decided yeah. that they then were going to do exactly what the DUP have currently done, which is, you know, the, it's, this, it's this one not sure. issue was what they decided they it's weren't going to, to show up to, yeah. to Stormont for. And so, you know, we've seen both sides engaging in this kind of activity. Just currently, it's the DUP that are doing it, um, which... It seems know, that both main parties seem to go for inactivity when they're faced with this kind of issue. But then what you've said is that the one thing that Northern Ireland might have a majority is some sort of activity, some sort of government. It seems strange that um, the thing that you've said would be most popular is the thing that neither of the main parties are doing. Could there be like a grand swell in Northern Irish politics where people decide maybe let's move to the middle? Or is that like we come back to the point well, before? There is a bit of a move to the middle at the moment. You know, Alliance yeah. are picking up a bit of traction. Mm-hmm. Who's um, the, who are the alliance? So the alliance body, if you think about it like a horseshoe, you've got Sinn Féin and DUP at the two prongs, then right at the bottom, like sort of equidistant from the prongs, you've got the alliance body, then just moving slightly up towards the prongs again, you've got the SDLP On for the nationalist side and the UUP, the Ulster Unionists, for the unionist side. So that's sort of in terms of moderation, yes. you get more extreme as you go up. Yeah. And I think Alliance got towards... 17 MLAs yeah. in the last election. So that's a very high proportion when you think that Sinn Féin got 27, DUP got 25, 17 is not insignificant at all. Is an alliance and then the two more moderate parties government possible? Would that be on the cards at some point in the future? Would be nice. It would be nice, but what you have seen is people aren't voting for the moderate parties. They're either no. voting in the middle or There's to been the a extremes. real downward trend for the moderate parties, I, at mm-hmm. least with the Ulster Unionist party. Yeah. yeah, and with SDLP, and with SDLP more people are which is quite them. interesting because like some of the you know the great figures that championed and spearheaded the yeah. Good Friday Agreement, like John Hume, for yeah. example, they they were SDLP, they were UUP. Right. Yeah, but those parties have since lost so much popularity. Um, before we finish, not going on for much longer now. If there was a poll in two years or in three years that then a border poll that saw people of Northern Ireland and people of the Republic decide to reunite the island of Ireland would violence restart um, it wouldn't be surprising not unlikely yeah, like, like when you go to the airport it still says threat level severe yeah well it's like a couple, like I think last year they had they burned buses or something oh um, yeah in because of, yeah, yeah it was an IRA member's funeral that they weren't allowed to go to yes during it, COVID like, through like loads it, yeah it mm-hmm. started loads of problems up again so I think like right now we're at peace but you know, it only takes always, one little yeah. thing for some kid to throw like yeah, a exactly. Molotov. It's I think it's under the surface. It's yeah, it's it's under it's the surface. That's a good way of terming it. But the the Good Friday Agreement got rid of the um, very you know international element of like everyone knows that the, this violence is happening. It was a big thing. Um, now I think you're seeing we've seen um, little elements of violence every once in a while that still echo that you know, former period of the Troubles, but um, but aren't on that same level. And I think that the problem is that, so you can, can't say that it's, the violence is fully gone. And so I think the, the fear is that if you change the situation, does that inflame yeah. what is still it's there? It's still smoldering. I, still I mean, yes. the paramilitary still exists. Are you on the fire? Yeah. I mean, have you, I don't know. I feel, I, I was... Uh, I feel like the private, uh, the paramilitaries are now much more based on private enterprise. Like, for yeah. example, there's sort of this idea of one imports drugs and the other doesn't like drugs. Um, so they like they're still battling each other at some it's point. That's at least like, that's common public, co- you know, conception of what, opinion, yeah. what it's right. still happening. But um, like, for so example, you, so sorry, you you've all said that you think within the next ten years it's quite likely to be a border poll. Can we expect within the next fifteen years that Northern Irish violence will be back at the top of our news headers? 
it's hard to say. You, you can't give a definitive, but I mean, it, it could. It, it could. could. I think the longer bad. you put it off, the border poll, the less likely it becomes. Yeah, I think because so. I think that younger people have less of uh as we were saying earlier uh, an affiliation with either side uh, some mm. people would say that they feel northern irish and so i think that that makes it less likely that this kind of violence will become a thing again and the maybe longer the longer they wait the bigger the majority will be and that's true and i think the problem currently is that it's just so slim that mm-hmm. you know one felt one side will feel very aggrieved yeah. so connor's prescription for the problem is even more fudge <laughs> Finally, <laughs> apart from a, uh, a downbeat note that we hit at the end, I'd like uh, the two of you, and maybe a lecture as well, if you'd like. You've described Northern Irish identity as something new, resurgent, and something unique. What do you love about being Northern Irish, and what sets the two of you or the three of you apart from being just Irish or being just British? Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. We've got the Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got what the Dark Hedges, have? we've got the Giants Causeway, we've got Ballantoy Harbour, we've got Port Ballantrae. Well, Other than places, what makes oh. a Northern Irish person? Um, um, I crisps. think, do you crisps. know what it is though? <laughs> uh, one thing I do miss when I'm in London and not home is that everyone, despite all this talk of violence and all, everyone's really friendly. Mm. Like, everyone is very there friendly. There is such a sense of community, Even no across, matter where you go. Yeah. Well, if they don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is quite funny. When you meet another Northern Irish person, it's been like, where are you from? Oh, where oh, would you go to school? It's like, um, it's like you start you working know? down the list. Who do you know? Say, oh, well, first off, you, you can work H. H. You don't need to don't need to do the other lines. Just H or H. H, or H. Oh, is that the distinct? That's the big dividing yeah, line. Historically, it's just yeah. like little <laughs> little pernickety things. Yeah, okay. that would give it away. Electra, anything that you enjoy about your Northern Irish heritage? I mean, I just yeah, I like the sense of community. Like you were saying, like every time I go back, it's just everybody's always like really nice to me, and they're always like asking about me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's not something like yeah, in London or anywhere else, I've really found. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you all for coming. Thank you for a pretty constructive discussion. And um, yeah, hope to see you again next time. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you.